Good morning. The scripture passage comes to us from Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, my name is Steve, <coughs> Steve McConnell. I used to be a pastor here at uh, Church of the Palms. Uh, I've been away for a couple weeks and took a group of 33 other pilgrims uh, over to Scotland and what we call Narnia. Uh, we took a week's tour of the, uh, of the highlands of Scotland and ended up going to Iona, which is where Christianity came uh, onto the, uh, into the British Isles. And we spent some time tracing Reformation history. John Knox was sort of the founder of the Presbyterian Church. Blah, blah, blah. And then we uh, made our way down to Oxford where C.S. Lewis spent all of his life and wrote and where the Chronicles of Narnia came alive. How many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? That's not enough. <laughs> we need to get uh, this church reading more of the Huh? You saw the movie? Okay, well, movie, you know, that's, that's all right. So anyway, just got back uh, this week and uh, getting back into the swing of things. And so thank you to Sue for reading uh, Exodus chapter 40, the end of the book of Exodus. Exodus is an incredible book. I really recommend uh, you reading that sometime. Just sort of sit down and read this incredible journey of Moses who meets God in the burning bush and gets sent to confront Pharaoh to rescue the people of Israel, and it's got plagues, and it's got uh, the crossing of the Red Sea, it's got the journey through the wilderness, and the quail, and the manna, and the delivery of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it is just a pretty amazing book. And the end of the book, uh, sort of still, they're still in the midst of that journey, and uh, we read those great words that uh, Sue read about the cloud and fire that descends upon the tabernacle. And so we're going to be reflecting on that in a few minutes. So let's us pray. Thanks, O oh God, for your amazing presence and reality in our lives. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who comes to us in fire and in mystery and in power. We thank you that you are here right now in this moment and pray that you will allow these words to come to point to the word that was just read and even more so to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. 
So Christian Huygens, the famous 17th century Dutch scientist, is known for his discovery and invention of many things with which you and I are today are quite familiar. Huygens discovered the polar caps on Mars, the rings around Saturn, the equatorial bulge of Jupiter. He developed the wave theory of light and established the idea of centrifugal force. He also invented the pendulum clock, the kind of clock that has a pendulum below it that swings back and forth to keep the mechanisms moving, one form of which we know as the grandfather clock. Well, one day Huygens had a couple of these pendulum clocks in his laboratory, and as he was preparing to leave, he set the pendulum swinging back and forth, but not in sync with each other. So he left, and a day or so later came back and noticed that now the pendulums were swinging in sync. They were swinging with each other. He decided then to experiment, so he set up another clock. Now he had three clocks, and he set them out of sync with each other, left a day or so, came back again. All three of them were in sync with each other. The pendulums were swinging. Four o'clock, same thing. Five o'clock, same thing. Filled the whole laboratory, finally, with pendulum clocks, and sure enough, after a time, remarkably, they all were in sync with each other. Now, this phenomenon, this synchronization of two or more rhythmic cycles that Huygens discovered came later to be called the entrainment transformation principle. Two or more oscillating bodies lock into phase, creating a harmonic vibration. It is a universal principle that takes place in chemistry, psychology, sociology, architecture, you name it, even women's menstrual cycles. In a nutshell, what it means is rhythmic bodies adjust to the rhythms around them. As one pendulum swings, others will come to swing along with it. Rhythmic bodies adjust to the rhythms around them. Now, this theory of physics, this entrainment principle, which I'm sure is a whole lot more complicated than how I described it, certainly helps me to make much more sense out of the rhythm of each one of our lives. If there's anything I hear talk about in my comings and goings, it has to do with the rhythm of our lives and the pace of our lives. And the common concern that keeps getting raised is, our life is too fast. This is not a concern specific to our generation or to any century. People have been complaining since the beginning of time that life is getting faster and faster, getting too fast for our own good. Life does that. Life gets faster and faster. And we seem, though, to like its pace less and less. Truth is, we are rhythmic bodies adjusting to the rhythms around us. When the computer hit the horizon and then the internet and then the cell phone, the rhythm of the world got faster and we in turn got faster ourselves. And that's why we complain about having so many time-saving devices and we don't seem to have any more time saved. Well, of course, there is no such thing as a time-saving device, right? There's only time using devices. My computer does not save me time. It requires my time, especially when I walk into the office in the morning and face however many emails from the day before. The rhythm of my life adjusts to the greater rhythm around me. 
No time do I experience this more than when I'm in the midst of a fairly significant and intense conversation with someone. Perhaps someone is pouring out their heart to me, and, or I'm pouring out my heart to them, and then one of our cell phones goes off, or a text dings in, and so what happens, of course, is, you know, fumbling for the phone, and you answer the phone, and you start talking on the phone, and, you know, the conversation goes on for a while, and then it concludes, and then comes the invariable question. Now, uh, sorry, where were we? Well, of course, what's happened is that whole rhythm is gone. The whole rhythm of that conversation is gone. It has been subsumed by another rhythm. And strangely, one of the outcomes of all this is that what happens is that we're left with no rhythm at all. It's not that our rhythm is too fast. It's that we ain't got no rhythm. And that especially goes for Presbyterians. We ain't got no rhythm. For example, 34 of us just flew back from our pilgrimage to Scotland and Narnia, where we put our bodies through two cross-Atlantic flights and 25 or so different bus excursions. And at the end of all, our bodies said to us, you ain't got no rhythm. Life was not meant to be lived across five time zones. The ancients did not go more than 100 miles from their homes. They certainly didn't have a cell phone to interrupt their conversation or a text to get in the way of their gazing into the heavens. It would have been unthinkable for people two centuries ago to misalign themselves from the rising of the sun to its setting. Thomas Edison when he invented the light bulb, interrupted that rhythm. We go past sunset and create a whole other rhythm of our lives, which is different than the rhythm that we were created for. We ain't got no rhythm. We are desperate to be aligned with the greater rhythms of the God's created order. Two weeks ago, these pilgrims, these Scottish pilgrims, we made our way over to one of the western islands of Scotland, an island called Iona, where Celtic Christian St. Columba set up his little community in the 6th century and by it brought Christianity to Scotland. And what did he do when he set it up? He set up a community of Christian brothers who lived a daily discipline of pause, a daily rhythm of pause, a community together farming, praying, scribing their little texts, all for the glory of God, and stopping along the way in intervals of each day and praying. And people from all over the region came to Iona because they were desperate to be included in that same rhythm. And the irony was not lost on any of us that as we toured this little island where this beautiful little community of discipline had been set up, we were in a hurry. We had to get back to the bus. We ain't got no rhythm, but that does not mean that we're not rhythmic creatures. We are desperate to be aligned to the greater rhythms of God's created order. Now, with all this in mind, might we find these last few words that we just heard read from the good book of Exodus pretty striking. The story takes place in the midst of Moses and the people of Israel wandering in the desert, as I talked about. 
They've encountered God in all sorts of ways, the burning bush, the plagues, the Passover, the parting of the Red Sea, the quail, the manna, the Ten Commandments delivered from Mount Sinai. It has been this incredible journey of experiencing the glory of God and experiencing God revealing himself. And you put it all together, and what you would say is that the pilgrimage of life is a pilgrimage of, of God revealing his glory to you. God is always revealing God's presence to us. He is revealing his presence in the life of his people and the story of the exodus is the story of the people of God always encountering the glory and presence of God and so as the story of exodus comes to a close the exodus writer concludes that by telling us that now the people who have been faithful to God built this little tabernacle this transportable sanctuary which they take with them at every stop along the way so that they can be reminded of the presence of God and from time to time the cloud and fire of God descends upon the tabernacle, and God is revealing his glory in this amazing and mysterious way. Now, I'm not sure many of us would say that they have had that same kind of experience of cloud and fire descending upon us, but we would, I guess, all of us would say that there have been those moments when we have felt the presence of God. And in feeling the presence of God, we have felt the glory of God. Maybe not in cloud and fire, but some would say they had experienced it maybe in a worship service. Or some would say they'd experienced it when they were in a time of prayer. Or some would say they'd experienced it when they were out in the midst of God's incredible beauty, beautiful nature. Some would say it was in the intensity of a small group. Some would say it was in the birth of their child. Some would say that it was when they ministered to the poor. There are all sorts of ways by which God chooses to reveal God's presence and power. But very few would ever say that they had experienced God's presence while they were in a hurry. Very few would say that they had experienced God's presence when they were in a rush. And I wonder if that doesn't explain the response of the people of Israel when we're told that when the glorious presence of God descended upon the tabernacle, the people of God stopped. They stopped. The Exodus writer says, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day it was taken up. In other words, they stopped. They stopped their journey and they took in the glory, and they did not resume their journey until the cloud and fire were lifted. They dwelled in the moment of God's presence. Now, lots of things I suspect can happen when you stop and dwell in the presence of God, when you choose not to pick up the stakes too early. But I wonder if one of those things that happens when you choose to dwell, when you choose not to rush through the presence of God, is that maybe one of the things that happens is that your rhythm begins to align with God's rhythm. Your pendulum begins to swing with God's pendulum, 
You see, when you find yourself in the midst of God's presence, when God breaks in on your life and the cloud and fire descend in one form or the other, you sense that there is much more to this life than what appears to be before your eyes. And you begin to learn that the kingdom of God, Jesus said, is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is as close as the nose on your face. And you begin to realize that all that time you were trying to save, it was all intended to encounter the presence of God. So a while ago, I was at Panera down at the end of Bee Ridge having lunch. And I was there by myself. And I noticed a dad and his daughter coming in. And they sat down at a booth that I could see. And like those are the times, to, those are the times, right? That's, that's the moment. I mean, that's what we save all our time for, right? That moment, right there in that booth at Panera. Time with our daughter. So I watched with great expectation. And then came the moment. And I watched as that happened four or five times over a half hour or so. And sitting across from him was glory. Glory. And sure enough, she was doing the very same thing with her phone. What might happen if we pause before the glory? Do you ever realize how often the word dwell shows up in the Bible? One thing I've asked of the Lord that will I seek after to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your place. Be he who dwelleth in the shelter of the Most High, who dwells in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. You see, when God comes to us in Jesus Christ, he came to dwell with us, and he came for us to dwell with him. It doesn't say that the word became flesh and, and caught us on the fly. It doesn't say the word became flesh and, and talked to us until we got that next phone call, or the word became flesh and tried his best to accommodate his rhythm to ours. No, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He stopped and stepped into our lives and stayed a while. The devil tempted him to get over it quick, turn the stones to bread, feed them, make it quick. But Jesus chooses to dwell, to walk, to talk. Did you ever realize how often Jesus chose to stop? He was stopping all the time, stopping to talk, stopping to heal, stopping to teach, stopping to pray, stopping to feed. He stopped. It is a part of dwelling to reveal his power. He dwelled with us. Have you left yourself in your crazy life room to stop? If the resurrected Jesus would appear in the course of your day, would it be in your rhythm to stop? Or maybe a better way to ask it is, 
are you stopping in the rhythm of your day in order to see the resurrected Jesus who is here? So surprisingly, one of the most significant moments of my two weeks away occurred to me in a place I least expected it to, which usually happens when I travel. And it happened at London's Heathrow Airport. Was, this was not on the itinerary. We had arrived there about, three, about four hours before our flight, so we had lots of time to walk and sit among the thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of other people who were waiting for their planes, when all of a sudden, onto the loudspeaker came the voice of a man who said that in a moment we were going to observe for 60 seconds a moment of silence for the victims of the terrible Grenfell Tower fire that at least 79 people have died in, and that number will probably grow to be much larger that had taken place just a few days before. And you know what? It's exactly what we did. We stopped. The entire airport stopped and paused for 60 seconds. Do you know how long 60 seconds is when you're in an airport? 60 seconds and we put ourselves into the lives of the hundreds of, hundreds of people who had either died or were hurt or were burned or were grieving. The entire airport stopped. No bags checked, no planes boarded, no coffee served. We just dwelled in the silence of our connection to those people. We afforded ourselves an acknowledgement of a larger rhythm. So it's no surprise that in the pages of Exodus, God commands us in the Ten Commandments to stop. To stop. For a Sabbath day, 24 hours, not 60 seconds, 24 hours. Jesus invites us to come to the table, to pause, to establish a different rhythm, to be enveloped by a larger rhythm, to be quiet, to pray, to set our pendulums in line with the greater pendulum. So the truth is, the presence of God is in our midst. The resurrected Jesus is in our midst. He is alive, he is real, and he is dwelling amongst us full of grace and truth. And what glory, what glory if we were to but stop. Let's pray. Lord, there is this great good news that Jesus tells us that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is within you.
there is this great pendulum of your grace and truth that is swinging and seeking to bring us into your rhythm. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will give us the grace to discover our connection to you and our connection to each other, that we might stop, we might take Sabbath, that we might be met with you and your presence, and that we might find out what life is really supposed to be about. So bless us, O oh Lord, that we may find our true selves in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.